Hello, hello, my friend, and welcome to episode 143 here on the Yours Truly podcast. My name is Claire Tuning. I am your host. I am a non-diet registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. And if you've been around for really any time at all here on the pod, you know that another way that I like to introduce myself is by saying that I am a self-proclaimed food pun expert or food pun enthusiast. Sometimes I call myself a peanut butter and jelly enthusiast as well. (laughs) I use those introductions interchangeably, but I have to tell you because I not only talk the talk, I also walk the walk when it comes to food puns. And today, this has nothing to do with today's episode, by the way, I just feel inclined to share. It's a lighthearted way of opening up this conversation, but I was driving down the road today, as you do, and I saw on the side of the road a fruit stand. To put this into context, I live at the beach here on the the coast of Virginia, and I can't really speak for how things are on the West Coast or in other countries, but at least here along the East Coast, especially Virginia and South, a really popular thing that you see in the summers are fruit and veggie stands with all of these delicious seasonal fruits and veggies. So now in the summer, we're talking like peaches and cantaloupe and squash. Don't even get me started on the tomatoes this time of year. They are so good. So of course, I saw this fruit stand and I had to pull over. So I park my car, I get out, I'm walking up to the fruit stand and the person who is working was a gentleman. He asked me like, hey, how are you doing today? And me being who I am, I look to my right and there are like this beautiful stack of peaches. So I grab a peach, I hold it up and I look him dead in the eye and I say, I'm just peachy, how are you? Now this interaction could have gone one of two ways. A, he could have not laughed whatsoever. It could have been a little awkward. I would have been disappointed. And it also could have gone in a direction where he laughs. We have a great time. I feel validated. (laughs) And thankfully, I am pleased to report that uh, it went that way. So he laughed at me. I was like, thank goodness. I, uh," you know, nothing brings me joy more than inserting a food pun or just puns in general into any conversation, but especially an interaction with a stranger and then they laugh. It's just like a level of connection that you don't always get, you know? So um, like I said, not only do I talk the talk, but I also walk the walk and I do try my very best to insert puns as often as I can (laughs) in my life. But anyways... Back to what we're actually here to to talk about today. Today's episode is just going to be me, myself, and I, and you, thankfully, since you're tuning in to today's episode, but we are going to be talking about the power of permission and how this is a really important concept when it comes to healing your relationship with food. I have a, a couple of thoughts and ideas that I'd love to offer you along this idea of unconditional permission to eat. That's something that you'll hear us talk about a lot in the intuitive eating spaces. And I know while it can be an exciting idea, it can also, for a lot of individuals, it can be a a scary idea and it can feel a little uncertain at times, especially if this is one of the first times that you're you're hearing this idea of having permission around all foods. So we're going to get to that here in a couple of moments, but before we get there, we're going to open up the episode how we always do 
by featuring a post from my free private Facebook community that goes by the name of the Yours Truly Goal Slayer. So if you are new around here, this is, like I said a second ago, a free private Facebook community that I host, really for anyone who is interested in learning more about intuitive eating and having community support and being able to ask questions and receive answers from all different types of individuals. So I'll tell you more about how to join the community here in a moment. But today I want to feature a post that got a lot of interaction in the community and a lot of people in the comments were saying that they have felt this way before, that the post resonated with them. So I'm going to read the post and then I'm actually going to read one of the top comments from this post because this individual commented and offered some thoughts and some advice uh, before I could and it's the exact same way that I would have responded. So the post reads, I'm wondering if it's possible to purposefully lose weight without dieting. I'm kind of tired of living in a larger body. It's mostly that my size is kind of preventing me from participating in life as fully as I want to. For instance, I went on a small hike this weekend and I had a really hard time keeping up. So I'm wondering if there are resources to help do this in line with intuitive eating while still telling diet culture to suck it. Thanks in advance. So like I said a moment ago, there was a lot of interaction on this post. A lot of people were raising their virtual hand saying, I've been there or I've had this thought or I've had the same question. So the, the comment that I would love to share reads like this. The way that I think about it is focusing on non-weight related goals. So was it your size and only your size that made the hike difficult? The answer is likely no because fitness level, rest, nutrition, and a lot of other things all play into how challenging a hike can be. So instead, maybe focus on something like walking more regularly, knowing that the goal is to increase fitness to make hiking easier in the future. If weight loss occurs while doing something like this, that's okay. And if not, that's also okay. It's separating the way we feel and the things we want to do in our life from our weight. I hope this helps. So if you resonate with this, if you think being a part of conversations like this or being able to observe community interactions along this topic and a lot of other topics that fall under the umbrella of intuitive eating, health at every size, mending your relationship with food, I would love for you to come and join us in the community if you are not there already. It is free, it is open for anyone to join, but there is a brief application process to go through so that you can learn more about the community and my team and I can learn a little bit about you and establish some ground rules before you come in and interact with us all. So the way that you can access that application is by going to my website, it is clairetuning.com slash community. Again, clairetuning.com slash community will take you right to the application. All you have to do is fill it out, hit submit, request to join, and then my team and I will review it as soon as possible and welcome you in to hang out with us. It's a fun time. But without further ado, now that we've talked about the Facebook community, let's talk a little bit about 
food habituation or kind of what happens as a result of making peace with food. Because if you hang around the intuitive eating corners of the internet really for any length of time at all, you'll realize that something we talk about quite often is this idea of making peace with food. And this can mean a lot of different things, but one of the principles of intuitive eating that we really focus on in this pursuit of making peace with food is principle number three, which you might be able to guess is titled Make Peace with Food. Uh, If you're completely new to the podcast or you're new to this concept of intuitive eating, if you would like to see a list of all the 10 principles, or if you'd like to read in depth about them all, I really encourage you to pick up the book Intuitive Eating, the fourth edition by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. The fourth edition is the most updated version. They released it I think it was last year in 2020 um, the the bulk of the material is still the same but they have tweaked some things to be in alignment with the most recent research and uh, kind of with just how the world is now and how our diet culture has evolved so again if you'd like a more in-depth exploration on all of the principles be sure to check that out but here with principle number three make peace with food there's this concept of allowing yourself unconditional permission to eat I'm going to say that again, unconditional permission to eat, which if you've been dieting or restricting your intake for any length of time at all, this concept of having unconditional permission around food can feel really strange and maybe even a little bit scary. Like I'm, I'm wondering for you now, as you hear me say, give yourself unconditional permission to eat. Like what's coming up for you if you can self-connect for a moment do you feel alarmed by that idea do you get a little anxious is your immediate thought like what i could never have permission around food i think it can be interesting to just observe what comes up when this topic is brought to the surface for you and one of the reasons if you're having one of these omg that sounds awful or that sounds scary responses one of the reasons that it might feel that way is because diets have very likely taught you to do quite the opposite of giving yourself permission to eat. And they've likely taught you that you can't be trusted in food situations where you don't have a lot of rules or restrictions to guide you and help moderate your intake. So all this to say, it uh, it's very, very normal if this concept of making peace with food or having unconditional permission around eating gives you pause or makes you feel a little uneasy. And though, at the same time, we also have to recognize that there is no making peace with food without permission. So if making peace with food is a goal of yours, which I'm willing to bet if you clicked on this episode or if you're listening to this podcast in general, that it's at least somewhere on your goal list or it's something that you're somewhat interested in. So if this is a concept that interests you, then I think it's worth exploring and keeping an open mind as to what making peace with food might look like and where you might need to start in this process. So on that note, 
I thought I could use this episode to offer a few different thoughts that you might find helpful or even comforting if you know that you need to work on making peace with food, but the whole concept seems overwhelming or unsettling, or maybe you feel like you don't even know where to start. So I want to break this down into two thoughts. To be quite honest with you, I could likely ramble on this topic for hours. Anyone who has ever worked with me one-on-one or who has taken my online intuitive eating discovery course knows that this is a topic that has a lot of layers to it. So for the sake of not rambling for hours on this episode and trying to make this as concise and actionable as possible, I've boiled this down to two thoughts or two ideas that I'm going to share here and then you can take them and implement them or, or sit on them, whatever feels good for you. So first is this concept of food habituation. And food habituation, I know it's a quite a word there. It's quite a mouthful. Say that five times fast, but food habituation is really just a fancy way of saying that the more you expose yourself to a certain food, especially a food that was once off limits or you had a lot of restrictions around, the less power it's going to hold over you over time because we simply get used to it being there and it's no longer put on this pedestal or has a lot of rules surrounding it. So food habituation is really an integral part of making peace with food. And in fact, one of the many reasons why diets don't give us peace with food in the long run, or one of the reasons why they simply don't work to frame it differently in the long run is because diets prevent food habituation from happening. Because when there are always rules and moralizing language around food, like good, bad, should, shouldn't, when we have those labels around food, or when we're replacing, or when we're placing rather, a lot of restrictions around our eating, those foods with those labels, with those restrictions, are always going to feel like they're put on a pedestal in our lives. And as a result of that, we are going to feel like those foods have a lot of power over us or that we can't control ourselves around those foods when we are exposed to them. So that is thought number one, this idea of food habituation or the more we offer ourselves permission around a certain food, the more we allow ourselves access to a once forbidden food, the more normalized it will become in your life over time. And you might even find it interesting to spend a couple of moments reflecting on how some of your past or maybe even your current dieting efforts to see how they have prevented this process of food habituation. Like, I'm wondering if you can think back to a specific diet that you have done. Uh, For the sake of offering an example here, let's talk about keto. It's really on my mind because for some reason recently, I keep landing landing on like keto TikTok and I'm like, why? My For You page is not for me in those moments. I don't know why it believes I am interested in this content, but it is front of mind. So I'm gonna offer an example related to the keto diet. So let's say 
you were demonizing carbohydrates and you were not allowing them in your life. You placed a lot of restriction around carbohydrates there was a lot of shame and a lot of judgment if you ever did like break that rule or if you ever allowed carbs into your life maybe it was like a cheat day situation right so you would binge on those carbohydrates then you had the shame and the guilt and all of this so in demonizing carbohydrates or in not allowing yourself access to them we prevent this process of food habituation because we have rules There's a lot of restriction around that food group, and as a result, we never get used to having access to that food. So of course, when we are in a situation where carbs are around, maybe it's that quote-unquote cheat day, maybe you make it to the end of the night and you're standing in front of the pantry, and all you want to do is just eat all of the carbs in there, right? When we are in situations, when we're exposed to carbs, it's not gonna feel like an experience where we are in control. It's not gonna feel relaxed. We're not gonna feel at ease because the food has been placed on such a pedestal because we've had rules, we've had restrictions, and we have not gotten used to having access to that food. So when we decide, I'm gonna break this diet rule or I'm gonna have a cheat day, of course our experience in that moment is very intense and it feels chaotic and out of control because even if we are allowing permission in that moment, it's not unconditional permission. It's very conditional, right? If you're saying, I'm going to have a cheat day or the what the heck effect as we call it, right? So you're going to allow yourself for one night to binge on carbohydrates, even though from the outside, it looks like you're giving yourself permission to eat. It's a very conditional type of permission because you're only allowing it for a certain amount of time. You're maybe only allowing it in a certain amount and it's likely going to be followed with a lot of shame and a lot of judgment and a lot of self-criticism. So that lack of permission fuels the intensity of that now out of control feeling eating experience. So in this example with keto, The rules around carbohydrates, the strict restriction, prevents you from habituating to that food, prevents you from being at ease around any food containing carbohydrates because your body fears now that this is a scarce resource or that when we are allowed to eat it, we have to eat all of it because we don't know if we're going to get it tomorrow. It is a very all or nothing way of approaching eating. So I hope that example makes it a little bit more clear about what I mean when I say dieting, preventing this process of food habituation. And again, I wonder if you can reflect on some of your own eating experiences and see now in retrospect that maybe this is one of the things that was contributing to the failure of those dieting dieting endeavors. That's hard to say, uh, but contributing to their failure in the long run. So thought number two, Moving on, that I'm going to share with you is kind of an analogy. I like to put things in in story form sometimes because I think it can help us to kind of understand these intuitive eating concepts if we sometimes can view them in a way that goes beyond food. So this is an analogy to help us better see how feeling out of control around those once off-limit foods isn't a reflection of your lack of willpower, heavy air quotes there, but it's rather 
your body's natural response to restriction. So I want you to, for a moment here, picture your best friend, your best friend, your BFF Jill, if you're familiar with the commercial from the mid 2010s, but I want you to picture your best friend, whatever he, she, they, whatever they look like, whatever they sound like, whatever your relationship is with them. And I can't speak for you and your best friend, but for me and and my best friends, I love them a lot and I love spending time with them. I am very grateful that where I live now, I actually live really close to a lot of my good friends, so I get to see them on a more regular basis, and that is something that I, I value, and it means a lot to me. So however you're picturing your relationship with your best friend, whatever they mean to you, how you like spending time together, I want you to pretend for a moment that you get a call from your best friend and she says hey i got some bad news i for work have to move away for a couple of years and you know i have to move far away it's not like she's moving to the next town over or even to a different state let's say she's like moving to the opposite side of the globe so for me that would be like moving to australia right really far away and that happens, right? She she goes and maybe you have some communication with, with your friend while she's living really far away, but she's gone for a long time. So your relationship changes. You don't have complete access to being with one another like you used to be able to. And a couple years go by, let's say, we're really going to hit fast forward on this story here, but a couple of years go by and you get a call from your friend and she says, hey, this time, unlike a couple of years ago, I have some great news because I get to move back to our hometown, right? Let's say the house beside you is for sale. And she's like, you know, I'm going to buy that house. There's a great deal on it. It's a good time in my life. I'm looking to buy this house. So a couple of months later, your best friend in the entire world is now no longer going to be living all the way on the opposite side of the world, but now she is going to be living quite literally next door in the house beside you. So she moves in and you're both so excited, obviously. Like I know if I hadn't had much contact with my best friend and then she moved into the house beside me, I would be head over heels with excitement and I would want to be spending a lot of time with her, right? Catching up on our lives and things that we've missed and doing all of our favorite activities, going to all of our favorite restaurants. And I'm wondering if that would be the same for you. If you're like, yeah, of course, if I hadn't gotten to see my friend in a long while, we would want to spend a lot of time together, especially within those first couple of months or couple of weeks of her being back. But then I'm willing to bet that over time, again, give it a couple of weeks, a couple of months, of course, you would still enjoy spending time together and hanging out and watching The Bachelorette on Monday nights (laughs) as we do, of course, you would still want to spend quality time together. But you might notice that once you get used to the fact that she now lives next door, and not all the way across the globe or across the country from you that you don't really have to spend every waking moment together because you trust that when you wake up in the morning, she's going to be next door. You can make plans on a more frequent basis. So 
Hopefully you can see where I'm going with this long-winded analogy. But if we compare this to your relationship with food, right? If you've had a food that you love or it's one of your one of your favorites or you have you get a lot of satisfaction from when you eat it. And then you go on a diet that prevents you from enjoying this food. It places a rule on this food, it places a restriction, maybe even in the most extreme sense, it puts this food on the complete off limits, never touch it, never eat it list. And you are on this diet for quite some time, however long it works out for you. And then for whatever reason you decide, this is unsustainable and I cannot live a life without this food in it. So when you start bringing this food back into your life, when you start trying to make peace with this food and you're getting it from the store, it's now living in your pantry where it hasn't been there for a long time, it makes a lot of sense that you would go through like an acclimation period of time with this food where in the beginning, when it's new, when when it's exciting, you are probably wanting to eat a lot of it and those experiences might feel kind of intense it might feel like you're making up for lost time with that food because you are because you were restricted from it for a really long time but with continued permission around this food as you keep bringing it from the store into your house and you're now used to it being in your fridge or your pantry or your freezer wherever it lives depending on what food it is you start to realize that of course, I'm probably always going to enjoy this food and I'm going to want to have it be a part of my life, but over time I don't really feel that I have to be eating this 24 seven or my experiences with it no longer feel out of control or chaotic because I trust now that I'm not going on a diet tomorrow, that it's not gonna disappear tomorrow, that it will be here tomorrow in 30 minutes 30 days from now whenever i decide that i would like to enjoy that i know it's going to be there and i'm trusting in that fact so what am i describing here i'm describing this process of food habituation the more we allow ourselves exposure to a certain food the less power it holds over us over time and the more normalized it becomes just like how your interactions with your best friend would be if they moved right next door after you hadn't seen them for a long time. So if we can acknowledge that, yeah, it makes a lot of sense that I would want to make up for lost time with my friend, and that's normal, and that doesn't mean anything is wrong with you or you have no willpower when it comes to spending time with your friends, can we also try to normalize that experience when it comes to food? Because at the end of the day, you feeling like you got to make up for lost time around the food or like you're having a lot of, you know, eating experiences where you're eating more of this food than you would like to. It doesn't mean you have a lack of willpower. It doesn't mean that anything is wrong with you or that you need rules to exist around food. This is simply your body's natural response and reaction to restriction. So I hope you all found these uh, little little tidbits, tips I guess we could call them. So the concept of food habituation and the analogy to follow it up. I hope you found it helpful. 
I am crossing my fingers that that analogy maybe helps you to picture this process and how even though it's kind of scary, maybe in the short term, how you are working towards a relationship with food in the long run where you can be more relaxed around these foods and where you don't have to go on for the rest of eternity having a negative relationship with this food or fearing any of your favorites. So I'm going to wrap it here. I think that's all I have to say on the topic. Actually, I could probably say a lot more, but for the sake of (laughs) me not talking to death, talking this episode to death, I'm going to end it there. And as always, if you enjoyed anything that I shared on this episode or that I have shared on previous episodes of the podcast, it would mean the world to me if you could take a couple of moments or however much time you have and tap those five stars. If you are listening on Apple podcast, it would also mean the world if you could leave a review as well your support for the show really does help more than you might know. It's the way that the show can grow and reach the the ears of more listeners who could benefit from it. If you are not, though, listening on Apple Podcasts, another way that you can support the show is by taking a screenshot of wherever you are listening to today's episode and uploading it to your social media channel of choice. So that could be an Instagram story, it could be a post, it could even be a TikTok if you feel so inclined. And if you would like to tag me at Claire Tuning, I would love to see that and send you a DM to thank you for listening. But that is all that I have for today here on episode 143 of our show. That is going to be a wrap. But until next Wednesday, hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and we'll be talking soon. Yours truly, Claire.